You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Morning, church. Uh, the teaching text this morning is from Proverbs 11:24 through 25. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, church. How about that text reader, huh? Russian. For those who don't know, that's my wife. I'm not trying to start a scandal. Uh, friends, welcome. I am excited about the word of the Lord today. So I'm just praying for us and we'll dive right in. Lord, I just want more of you in this moment. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Use me however you can. Amen. So we are in the second week of our series, Covered Ground, where we're taking stock of the defining attributes of our church has gained over the course of journeying together with Jesus here in Williamsburg. And we're drawing inspiration uh, for this series from the book of Joshua, where we see the Israelites on the border of the promised land about to enter post a leadership transition on the precipice of pushing into this new territory that the Lord has provided for them. And they are called to gather up these stones of remembrance to remind themselves that though the challenges that lay before them may be new, the God that's behind them isn't. And he has made a way just as he has always made a way. Last week, Gemma both reminded us and illustrated for us the journey, this church's journey of elevating and empowering the voices and gifts of those saints previously excluded from positions of leadership and influence, namely our sisters in this church. But more than that, Gemma also reminded us that though we've covered good ground, we've still got a long ways to go as we seek to continue to be a community that more fully represents the diversity especially racially and socioeconomically of the coming kingdom at every level of leadership and influence. And this week, we're going to look back over another historically defining attribute of our community, generosity. Now, some of you are looking at me right now and you're saying, didn't you just get here? <laughs> like, how do you know where we've been? To which I say, first, back up off me. Uh, <laughs> And second, true, you're right, you're right. And so I actually have a friend coming in a little bit who is better positioned to speak to the history of this church. But before he, uh, they come, I wanted to really talk to us a little bit, just give us a little word about what uh, generosity means. And I want us to think about, really, I think this verse that we picked out today is going to provide some texture to where we've been, and it's also going to serve us later this year, particularly at the end of the year in Advent, when we unpack more in depth 
what it means to be generous with both our money, with our time, with our energy, and also perceive the invitations of Jesus he's giving to us uh, with all those things. So our teaching text is a very simple one. It comes to us from King Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And again, it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. Now, this passage is a, is a collection of Bible, biblical writings known as wisdom literature, okay? So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, these books are a mosaic of inherent truths about the world and about us as people and really how this whole thing works. Now, this shouldn't be an unfamiliar concept. We should all understand uh, inherent truths because we probably each have uh, inherent truths that we've learned over time. Some are consistent for the fact that I have not and will never like the taste of olives. Uh, and then others, other inherent truths about the world bear themselves out over time, like the fact that in my 20s, I was known to terrorize the dance floor from time to time, and I was pretty good at it, and didn't need much notice, and didn't give a second thought about it today. But now the inherent truth is, in my mid-30s, that if I am going to dance, I have to make a safety plan, I have to make sure that the schedule is cleared the next day, and I've got a pregame with about 1,200 milligrams of ibuprofen, or as we call it in my house, daddy's candy. Um, it's real out here, folks. It's just how the world works. And the thing is about these inherent truths of the world is that God takes them really seriously, in part because they use, he uses these inherent truths to teach the world something about who he is, right? So Romans 1.20 says this. Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Catch this next part being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So again, Paul is telling us in this treatise about the nature of God and his role and work of salvation in and through the person of Jesus, he starts with telling us that everything that God does and who he is has already been revealed to us to those who've never seen Jesus or heard of Jesus or know the name of Jesus, that the very world itself testifies to the nature and the character and the attributes of God. These things being understood from what has been made. God is revealing himself in the very world that he's made. And so we learn things like God's insistence on standards and expansiveness. God is both a God of expansiveness, but also intimacy, right? So he has this name, Adonai, which is Lord over all, but he's also Emmanuel. We see this in like Psalm 147, when it says that God has numbered each of the stars, and then it says he calls them by name. He has the power to put more stars than we can fathom in specific and individual places. And yet he also has the intimacy to name each one. And this is how nature declares these inherent truths about the world, declare the goodness of God, declare the nature of God, teach us about something that, uh, of who he is. Another aspect of these inherent truths is that oftentimes in church settings, when we discuss God, it's typically an observance of the supernatural aspects of God. So we talk about him rising from the dead, walking on the water, turning water into wine, uh, you know, healing the sick. And those things are great, and obviously they are a part of who God is. 
But the scriptures actually teach us that God's natural order or the supernatural order, those things that he does, those miracles we like to talk so much about, are in fact actually subservient to the natural ways that he's put things in order. Right? So his supernatural powers yield, actually, he submits those powers and those abilities to the natural order. What does this look like? Exodus 23, uh, verses 28 through 30. There's this scene here where the Israelites actually are about to move into the land, what we're talking about here in Joshua. But uh, he's about to give them this land, and God tells the people that I am going to send you into this land against these enemies, and before I send you in, I'm going to send in, let's read it together, actually, we got it on the screen. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Think about that for a second. God has a land that he wants to give to his people. But there are people in the way. And so he's going to supernaturally clear them, but what God supernaturally clears doesn't stay clear. He says, I'm not going to send the bees or the hornets more than a year ahead of you because the way the, this world works, if I clear this land, wild animals and vegetation and forestation will come back, it'll overtake the land, and you simply don't have enough people to come into it and take it. What? I feel like if you, if you say stop, it stops. What are we seeing here? Well, what we're seeing here is the long-suffering and enduring patience of God the long-suffering and enduring patience of God, particularly towards a broken world, right? So in Genesis, it tells us that God set the, the, the oceans in place. He told them how far the waters could go. He put the border around the land and he told the land where it could go. He tells the wind where it can blow. He tells the animals where they can live. So he put things in its perfect place and yet because of the fall, we know that the world itself is rebelling against those borders. It is rebelling actively against those instructions, right? Now God has the power to snap his finger and put things back in place. And yet and still he has a plan. And so he's working slowly towards that plan, the coming restoration of all things. And so even though he could override the disobedience of nature, he allows it to play out, and he in fact works around it to achieve his ultimate purposes. Why is this important? Well, it's important because as a people who are mired in brokenness, I have a two-year-old, so let me tell you, from birth, we are broken, okay? God endures, and he is long-suffering towards us, and he is patient towards us in our brokenness. And though he wishes that none will perish and that all will find everlasting life, he allows us to make our choices. He doesn't override us. He doesn't make us robots. But through loving kindness, he gives us invitations back into the good order that he wants established. And all this we see in the inherent truths of the world. So, here, Solomon in Proverbs is giving us this inherent truth, and he's given us an insight into the world. And this is the truth. Those who live life open-handed find themselves opened up more and more to opportunities and people. And this is Humanities 101. The more open-handed we are with things like our time, 
our energy, and our money, the more surface area to life we create, the more we connect with the world around us. And the more connected we become to the world around us, the richer experience of life we have. And by richer, I don't mean uh, in monetary accumulation. What I mean is we have a deeper uh, and a more intrinsic understanding of the world. I grew up pretty poor, um, and so, uh, we lived in a poor community. And it was one of those communities where you just, you just had to band together, right? And there's this saying like, you know, when all you have is nothing, there's a lot to go around, right? But really, in, the, in, in like places where I grew up and even poor places around the world, survival is dependent upon interconnectedness. It's dependent upon the sense of communality. I think I made up that word, but we'll go with it. Uh, it's just it's dependent on interdependence, right? So I am my own and I work for myself and I have mine, but I have it for myself and for the service of all who need, right? And it's in this that we're able to survive. But then there are other communities, and we find these a lot here in our country with a uh, high subsistence on individuality and consumerism and accumulation, where we say, you may be rich, but as we say, sometimes some people are so poor, all they have is money. And so they've got all this money and they've stepped over too many people to enjoy it with them. They've burned out too many bridges to have anyone to sit around the table and they end up alone. I think of Citizen Kane and Rosebud sitting at the end of his life. So Solomon has given us his basic truth that as we give, the world expands and our world becomes richer. Conversely, the more we close ourselves to the world around us, the more tight-fisted we become, the more isolating and ultimately smaller and limiting our experience of the world becomes. And all this serves to paint a picture of a triune God who is deeply committed at his very essence to the idea of community, interdependence, and connectedness. But God doesn't force us to be generous, right? In fact, the scriptures tell us God loves a cheerful giver, and if you don't want to give, keep it. Keep it. I don't want your money. I want you to know the benefits of living a generous life is what the scriptures tell us. So God doesn't force us just like he doesn't force the world back into order. But he gives us an invitation instead to either live in harmony with the world that's, the, that's the, the Jewish idea of shalom, of this, of this fortified wall. When we talk about shalom, we're talking about either singularly, it is a brick or a, a stone of concrete without defect or blemish, or it's also meaning in the plural, a wall that is sturdy and without defect or blemish, right? And so that is the picture of shalom. That is the picture of harmony in the world. That is the invitation of God. Come and follow me and I will put you in peace. Be generous and you will find yourself in a connected world. Or we can choose to live in opposition to the design, swimming back upstream, and then we find ourselves entrenched in the hells of this world, alone and suffering. Maybe for some of the little ones in here, there's this book, Little Blue Truck. Timothy, do you know this book? 
Little Blue Truck is one of my favorites. I read it to my son. And there's this one uh, book where the Little Blue Truck, and he's just beeping along, and he's like honking at the, the horses and the frogs and the cows. And then there's this big dump truck, and the dump truck, big old dump truck, that's how I read it. The big old dump truck comes around the curve, swerving, 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 and he gets stuck in the mud, this big dump truck. And the big dump truck yells for help, and it says, and the book says, and, and nobody heard and nobody cared. Except for the little blue truck, because he was a generous person. And so the little blue truck goes into the mud and tries to push out the dump truck, but he can't. And so the dump truck, the little blue truck gets stuck, and the little blue truck says, help, help, help. And all the animals, they hear, and they go, I know that voice. And so they come running to push the little blue truck. And as they push the little blue truck, they're also pushing the dump truck. And so before you know it, everybody's out of the mud. And the dump truck sums us up by saying, you've taught me a valuable lesson. I need friends, and friends help each other. I can't say it. I, I forgot it. It rhymes, and it's beautiful. Go look at the little blue dump truck. Little blue truck. But that's the picture, right? That's generosity. Living open-handed even, and more importantly, towards the people who don't deserve it. Being willing to get into the mud of life to help push someone out. And when we find ourselves in trouble, we find those who we've helped along the way, those who have also benefited, those to whom we give allow us to take, right? And then everybody gets made whole. That's the invitation of Jesus. So what's the point, what does this mean? Generosity is the willful submission to the command of God for his people to reflect his nature and trust his provision. Read it again. Generosity is willful submission to the command of God for his people to both reflect his nature and trust his vision through the giving of their most precious resources for the benefit of all. And for the benefit of all is, is a multi-layered clause because as we give, both trusting in God and reflecting his nature. We do so for the benefit of all, even those who don't deserve it. But in it, we find the benefit of all as we all then uh, are blessed by that. And that is the second half of this verse that Solomon tells us. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed and those who help others are helped. Everybody wins. But what does this look like practically? Generosity is practically when we steward, and I say steward intentionally because steward provide, uh, this steward means there's a, there's a level of intentionality about what we're doing, right? We're not just giving to give because sometimes you need to take, right? Sometimes you have to be smart about when to give. We don't just give haphazardly, but we give with wisdom. That's what stewarding is. When we steward away our time, right? What does it look like to steward away our time? Well, it's not rushing past that person crying on the train. It's not worth rushing past our coworker who keeps trying to just strike up this conversation. It's not rushing past that neighbor. I think of Lindsay, uh, who incredibly um, gave us a teaching on hospitality, um, uh, Generosity, actually, just to, for our, our Good Way course, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But she told this story about walking by her neighbor, and this neighbor that always was just kind of like, 
<laughs> you know, always finding a reason. And it was just easy to walk past his neighbor. And then one day she stopped and engaged his neighbor. And out of that birth of fruitful relationship for this woman who was lonely. That's what it looks like to steward our time. What about our energy, right? Well, we steward our energy by what do we give ourselves to? Do I spend all my energy on my work so at the end of the week I got nothing left? Or do I save energy to be able to show up for things like the food pantry or any other works of service to our community? I've been so blessed by uh, Sean Bay and Peter who over the course of this past year as we've traveled through this pandemic have stewarded their energy to make it accessible, this church service, for those who can't be in the room. Yeah, we can give them a hand. <laughs> That's part of the reason why we're making this change because honestly, this whole system was being held up on the backs of two people and heaven forbid, thank God they haven't gotten sick over the last year. And they've shown up and they stewarded their energy for the benefit of the body. What about stewarding our money? That's a big one. I may give you some time, but let's not ask for money. What does it look like to leverage our money for the good of the kingdom and for others in a wise and intentional way to really invest? Last year we did a, a offering, our, our Christmas offering, we asked for $100,000. And like every year before that, we met it. <clears throat> That's the generosity of this church. And we took that $100,000 and we've been giving it away. Not a dime was used on a program or a, a person. These fly shoes, I bought these, that's out of my own money. It went out the door. A large chunk of it went into bags down the street as we provided meals for our neighbors. It's gone into rent. It's gone into medical bills. It's gone into tickets home for people who needed to get there. That's generosity. That's what it looks like. And when we do this, we are accepting the invitation of Jesus into abundant living. But get this, abundance isn't speaking to the, the, is speaking to the quality of life, not the content of life. Right? The abundant life that Jesus offers doesn't mean that you will have the nice house on the nice hill, right? Or at this point, let's be honest, even just like a, a decent-sized apartment with like a living room and a kitchen, like, it's not that. It's not about what you're going to have, but it's the, the tenor of your life. The characteristic of your life will be abundant. It will be full and overflowing. You will know life and you will know it deeply. Because when we become people of generosity, well, we find how the Lord is moving. I want to give two things and we're going to get out of here. I think it's really important um, as we're talking about giving and generosity, particularly in a church. I grew up in our, I moved here from, I grew up in South Carolina, but I moved here from just outside Charlotte, a place called Fort Mill. 
And uh, I used to go to this community that met on the, on the sound stage in the back lot, this place called Heritage USA. Some of you, most of you have probably never heard of Heritage USA, which is ironic because at one point, it was the third largest amusement theme park in America. Like six million people every year came to this place. It was massive. You probably haven't heard of it because it's now gone defunct because the founders, you may have heard of Jimmy, Jim and uh, Tammy Faye Baker, were these tel televangelists, right? Yeah, and so there were these televangelists and they were big in like the late 60s and throughout the 70s into the early 80s and how they got rich and how they made like, and how they were able to start a theme park was because they stood on stages and they told people that they needed to give, that if they wanted good health and if they wanted nice things, if they wanted to be blessed in this world, if they wanted abundant life, meaning material stuff, that they had to then seed that by giving and giving more and more to the church. And the money was coming in the front door and then going back out into their pockets, into vacations, into theme parks, right? So I think it's really important if we're going to talk about generosity that we do have to address the elephant in the room, which is that in a lot of places like these, with a lot of people like you sitting in seats like those and good-talking people like me sitting in seats like these have convinced people to give and to keep giving, and to keep giving, and that's the end of the story. And the promise has always been there. You're gonna be able to take. You're gonna be able to take on the back end, and yet you're never able to take. You never actually receive. You just give, and you give, and you give, and they keep taking, and taking, and taking. And that is antithetical to the gospel. That is antithetical to what this scripture is saying. And it's premised, though, why it's so dangerous, this prosperity gospel. I'll say it this way. The prosperity gospel makes mass greed as obedience and our desires as God's will. Prosperity gospel mass greed as obedience and our desires as God's will. So it takes something like Proverbs 11 and this picture of if you're obedient to, be, to God's call to be generous, your world will expand, and it'll tell you that what that is talking about is that you will have that house that you want. You will have that car that you desire. You will have those vacations that you want to take. If only you'll just keep giving. But what that's really feeding is your greed and their greed. And they're calling it obedience. Because what Solomon is telling us here is it's not about, it's not giving out of some like religiosity. It's giving because this is how the world really functions at its core. That you give, but then also you take what you need. And you do it wisely. It's talking about, it's not talking about the transaction, it's talking about an ethos, the way that we see the world. Do we live with the world? small and stingy, our hands gripped on everything we've been given, or do we live with it open? And then last, I think the prosperity gospel just takes our desires, and it tells us that God, God, I've never met a person who's just like, weren't convinced that like God didn't want them to be rich, you know? It's like, I just got a word. I just seeing like dollar signs, this is what the Lord has for me, I receive it. I've never just seen someone's like, I receive, Lord, I, I think there's poverty in my future. I take it in the name of Jesus. Bring me poverty. I take, I take that back. Mother Teresa, actually. Uh, there's a story about Mother Teresa where it said when, when the, the shoes came into Calcutta, uh, the donated shoes, she would actually go through the donated shoes and pull out the worst pair 
because she didn't believe any person should receive the worst pair of shoes. And so her feet were actually deformed from years of wearing the worst pair of shoes. So, yeah. Abundant life. It actually oftentimes means a harder life. But it always means a richer life, a fuller life in connection with the God who's designed the world as such. I was gonna give you a couple stories. Uh, I'm gonna give you one as Kaiser makes his way up. Um, as we kind of transition to talk about this uh, idea of what generosity has meant specifically for this community. Um, and that's, as I mentioned, the good way, which has been uh, an incredible impartation to our community uh, by Gemma. And uh, I've talked to some of you and how you've been blessed by it. I personally have been blessed by this course. And what's interesting is that this, the root of this impartation in the good way was founded in Gemma and her husband John moving to the city, not really knowing anyone and having a mutual friend who happened to be in town that was going to dinner with some other friends, uh, the McAllisters, and saying, hey, you, should, you guys should like come and meet them. And so they go over for dinner. And then what happens is the next day, the McAllisters and the Davises, these other couple show up and help them move their stuff into their house. Like they take their time and like spend it on people they don't know. And then they're like, well, the Ryans are like, well, I guess I gotta go to church there now. <laughs> so Gemma and John joined this church when it was called Williamsburg Church. It was just like 15 people in the back of this room. And now spin forward, here we are. Some people were generous with and received the invitation of God to be generous towards others. And now here we are, over a decade later, like reaping the benefits. This is part of why I brought Kaiser here. So Kaiser, some of you don't know, Kaiser is uh, our elder number one, close to our elder I, number two, maybe? Well, I'm, I'm part of the first cohort of elders. Yeah, you're the, the first cohort. Yeah, you were first, I'm just gonna like, you know, Google has those like employees, like employee number. Uh, Kaiser was one of the first elders uh, of this church and uh, has been a consistent, uh, consistent presence of generosity in this community, him and his wife, Alice, and his kids, Timothy and Rosemary. And so I wanted to bring up Kaiser to talk a little bit about the journey of generosity that this church in particular has experienced. But before we get into the journey of this church, Kaiser, I would just love for you to give the people, like, what's been your journey with generosity? <laughs> From the beginning? <laughs> Jim, Jim is like, do so you really? Like, yeah. We don't have time for that. I'll say this. I'll keep this one short. My journey of generosity have been, has been one of deep, deep conviction over 17 years of living in this city. I moved here when I was 22. You can do the math. I'm turning 40 this year, in one month exactly, actually. Um, and it's been over a 17-year period of God speaking to me very consistently about generosity living in a city like we live in. And I can get into that in more detail. But um, I would also say that the, um, the journey of generosity doesn't have to be a 17-year journey. And I think we've witnessed, well, I know we've witnessed that in this church, people coming to Jesus 
experiencing salvation, coming into the kingdom, and immediately the generosity, what I call the generosity bug, like they catch it and start pouring into the church. But anyway, that's, there's a lot mixed into those 17 years. Yeah. Well, give us, give us a little taste of that, your journey, but also like the church's journey as you've watched this journey, because part of the 17 years has happened in this church and generosity. Give us, give us some stories, some memories, some things that stand out as you think about the history of generosity and the ground we've covered as a church. Yeah, I, I, th- I think um, a lot of this, th- let me just say this, we're in a period right now in our church and we have been for about four or five years of pretty extreme generosity financially and resource-wise. Um, so I'm speaking to y'all, to, to us, from a place of, wow, our church is really on fire with generosity. And I do feel like that started four or five years ago. And one of the, I, I'll never forget this, um, one of the first experience of this, and maybe where it originated, was we had a community renewal project called Single Moms of Brooklyn, still do, and it started around that time. Um, and that was started from our generosity from a, from a Christmas offering, actually, uh, two community renewal projects, that and Foster Parents Night Off. And the uh, Single Moms of Brooklyn was going through its first year, and Mother's Day was towards the end, you know, Mother's Day's in, in May, so towards the end of a, a you know, school year in their program year and the person who started it jasmine who's a single mother herself of four boys living in brooklyn um she came to uh tyler i think to staff and said hey i really want to celebrate the mothers on mother's day but we i don't really have any money to do that we don't really have any money so we got up here on stage and just presented it to the congregation and said hey we really want to celebrate single moms of brooklyn like there's we have a like an actual box in the back of the room and said, hey, we just would love for everyone to give what you can give. And people gave above and beyond to the point where we had hundreds, I think, if not thousands, I can't remember the number, um, left over from a meal that we gave to them at a nice fancy restaurant in Brooklyn where we took, I think, eight moms we even had them invite friends because we had so much leftover money. And he said, let's try to spend as much as possible on this meal. And then hundreds, if not thousands of dollars left over just to give them after. And that was this moment in our church that actually Tyler marked with me, framed a photo of that dinner, gave me the framed photo and sitting in my apartment right now. And it was just this moment of, of marking and setting up a stone like we were talking about with Joshua which just sort of set off this swell, this upswell of generosity, leading up to the point of now where, um, you know, we, I guess there's so many things I can say. I'll I'll speak uh, story-wise from the church at large, us. Like during during COVID, um, we, our, our giving in this church, speaking of financial generosity, our giving in this church increased throughout COVID. Like hey. All the way to the end. I mean, at, or to the end. Are we even in the end? No. Um, no, we're not. And, I'll and, and, and that, that includes, like, I'm going to get real technical with you because, you know, I'm 
into this stuff, but giving, recurring giving units, which is basically someone committing to recurringly give through push pay or whatever, those increased. Every yeah. single month, more and more yeah. people signed up to give yeah. recurringly. That number monthly increased. All, I'm not just talking about from the beginning of COVID, but like peak COVID number one and number two up until today, yeah. which is just amazing. Come on. It's incredible. Um, I also, just one more and, and, and I'll stop. Uh, about three years ago, I felt a, or I just was urged by the Spirit to, to um, teach on generosity here. And so we did a few courses and stuff and a few sermons. And during that time, I thought it would be really important to do as much research as I can within our community. So I had dozens of conversations with some of you in this room. Um, every walk of life, uh, church members who live in public housing down the street to the probably, I guess, the well, one of the wealthiest people in our church um, and everyone in between. And I remember talking to both ends of the extreme, these two conversations I'll never forget. Um, on one extreme, um, someone who's very wealthy, just during that season, hearing some teaching from people in the community, just saying, hey, I, I just feel God keeps nagging me nagging me to write a check for $55,000. And he just had this number in his head. And, and I was like, great, do it. And he's like, what should I do? I was like, just give it to the church. We'll figure out what to do with it. And he's like, okay. And then on the other end of the, amen, by the way, let's say that. Um, on the other end of the extreme, a longtime member of this church who grew up in this neighborhood, living paycheck to paycheck, she came up to me and said, hey, um, I... I've always tithed, I've always given 10%, and she's on an hourly, um, hourly pay. And I decided, uh, after hearing people talk about generosity, to give a little bit more. I was like, oh, this is gonna really hurt. But I decided to give a little bit more. And she was like, the most amazing thing happened. I got a pay raise. I got more hours at work. I got, she just started, to unload. and I, that doesn't happen every time, but I promise you, that happens nine out of 10 times, according to my research yeah. and according to a lot of things I read. And, and she just wept and was just like, I can't believe this has happened. And then, one more, sorry. That same person, that same person, a couple years later, ran into some financial difficulty and came to our deacons of generosity and said, hey, I just lost my job and I feel terrible asking you guys this, but like, I need some financial help. That same person. We were able to immediately provide for her, Amen. pay her rent for three months. Amen. Six months after that, back on her feet. I mean, that, that I think is the story of generosity yeah. in our church, yes. which is someone just receiving from God, giving back to the church, and then later being like, I'm in need. I need, I need some financial help. And that's what I've seen over and over in this church. Yeah. It's kind of like a potluck. Like, it's like, don't show up to the potluck empty-handed, but also don't just bring something and sit on the side. Like, eat. Like, it's, it's give and take. We're here to eat together. And we're talking primarily, for those of you who don't know, like, uh, at one of Kaiser's roles as our elders is the overseeing of our books. And so he knows our finances and, and uh, what that, that looks like. But more than that, because generosity, again, is beyond our finances, you brought up community renewal projects. You talked about single mothers of Brooklyn. There's another one that we have, foster parents signed off, which is really in a part 
kind of birthed out of your family and a generosity of spirit, a generosity of time and energy, your very homes. And I want you to talk a little bit about what that has looked like in that journey of generosity. Yeah, of course, because generosity, yes, isn't just about financial generosity. <laughs> I understand that, but I love to talk about money. Um, yeah. I, no, hey, uh, I, I'll correct you. Not really birthed out of my family. It was birthed out of my wife, yeah, uh, who's sitting right here. Alice, um, so my wife, Alice. Yeah. Um, Great. Thanks. Thanks, Meg. Um, so, uh, yeah, the short story there is that we, we decided to start this thing called Community Renewal Projects, I think four or five years ago. Um, it was part of the Christmas offering. We raised money through that. Uh, I can't remember exactly how much money we spent on it, but we had members of this community put together proposals, um, sort of like grant applications, and present to a to a, a group of people that we brought in from outside of the community, experts in this area, to essentially pitch their ideas. I think there may have been uh, five to 10 pitches, and then uh, the church shows three of them, and two of those three single moms of Brooklyn and foster parents night off still live on. They've looked very different during COVID. Um, and that was one of those things where we're, we, we gave this grant to, and then every year, um, successive like money, but that that was I mean forget the the money side of that. That was a group of people um, led by my wife uh, Grace Ann and other many others who once a month would uh, host. I think it was like five or six hours. They put they had themes. They had different stations of activities for those in our community, in our church, and outside of our church who were foster parents. Our our foster parents. And it was phenomenal. It was amazing. They come and drop their kids off. And then um, they sent them off with like uh, gift certificates to restaurants in the neighborhood or just visa cards. Like, hey, go, go do something for yourself for four or five hours. Uh, and then we'll take care of your kids and, and come back. And that's, that's, that has been one of many beautiful things that's involved people's time and, and resources. Yeah. Alice, will you join us? <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for Alice. Yeah, this is great. Uh, yeah, you sit between us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we're here. Uh, uh, we're moving towards the end, but Alice, speaking about this, we're talking about generosity. We're talking about this understanding of the blessing that happens on the backside of obedience, right? that as we move into harmony with the way God has called us to live in the structure of the world, that we find this abundance, this richness of life. And so when you think about like foster parents and off, when you think about like the things you've experienced, I wonder if you would just talk about that aspect of it. Like what has been the blessing for all involved? Yeah, uh, thank you. Is this on? Oh, um, thank you. Oh, um, <clears throat> yes, it's, it, uh, it's been a journey to get to the, you know, to get to see the, I guess, blessing and the rewards at the end because um, sometimes when you're serving, you can't really tell in the moment if it's making any kind of impact. Um, those first few times, we actually thought were just big disasters. You said they were amazing, but you weren't there. Um, <laughs> we, we thought from a, from a um, sort of program running side, we were like, oh man, our programs didn't work, it was complete chaos, like, thankfully no one got hurt, sorry Meg, um, but <clears throat> we didn't really feel like anything was happening, um, and it wasn't until we got a few 
uh, like more months in that some of the kids that were coming back kept saying, are you going to do this again next month? And I've been, and then the foster parents that were dropping them off would say, when's your next one? How early can we come? How late can we pick them up? And people, they just kept wanting more time. Um, and we were so grateful that it seemed like people were really responding to it. And for those who don't know a lot about fostering, um, <clears throat> to be a certified foster parent, um, you, you can't just have any babysitter. You have to have a government certified babysitter, um, which is really hard to find. And a lot of these foster families don't have the time to recruit someone to do that, or maybe the extra income to even pay a babysitter. And so they're taking in lots of times multiple sibling groups, four or five children without any help. And so it's really, we're doing the easy part. If we take them for five hours a month, they have them the whole rest of the month. And so we feel like it's a blessing for us to get to have them for a short time. So um, anyway, so these families started coming and then the kids would ask about specific volunteers, like when are they coming back and you know, starting to know people's names and their stories. And um, even during COVID, we were able to send some gift packages to homes and we just, we couldn't believe how how much they still cared to want to be connected to us and how grateful the parents were. I mean, for them to have a little break so they can buy some groceries, take a nap, just anything. I only have two and I'm like, any break is a big deal, but um, lots of these are taken in five children. And so, yeah, the blessing on the other side is just um, seeing their continued interest and seeing some of these older boys really connect with some of our, some of the guys are here now who um, have helped out over the, over the years. And some of those older boys have really connected with some of the um, male volunteers in our group. And just um, two weeks ago, there was, we, um, instead of having them come here, we came to their neighborhood, one family. And it was only, it's only five children, but it's five children. And it's yeah. um, giving those parents a break. And so they got to um, just uh, skateboard and have a good time. And the parents were so grateful. And then the kids said, when, when are they coming back? Yeah. I hope you guys can see, like, uh, the Thompsons, um, and this is what I love about this church, even more so we're becoming people that don't just talk about it, but would be about it, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, and I think you guys have embodied that. I've known you for a long time, and I've seen your faithfulness in this city following God wherever he may lead you, into adoption, into giving, into uh, eldering, like into foster parent, you've, you've consistently chartered a course lockstep with where he's going. And the reality is you're doing that again, even now, on a larger scale, right? Um, so uh, this Sunday, actually, is uh, our last Sundays with the Thompsons, uh, because they, uh, again, are just steadying in that stream of following where God is leading. And God is leading them back home towards some family. Uh, sweet home Alabama. I'm excited because the chicken is good there and cheap. The barbecue is, is properly priced. Uh, and I just wanted to just make space. Our Gemma in a second is going to come up and um, we weren't going to let you go without blessing you and praying over you. So before that happens, I just wanted to just make space 
for you guys to just, you know, sum up or, or say anything you, you're, you're allowed to or is there anything you want to, and it's not your last, you're not, you're always a part of family. It's kind of like once you're family, you're family. So, uh, but as family, we won't see quite as often. Um, just want to make space for you to share anything on your hearts. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I do have something. Um, as I was sitting there earlier, I, th- this is it's my last time to have the microphone. So I'm going to say something very bold. And you can email the rest of the elders about it. I, this, this is something, and, and this is nothing new. Um, this is something that has been on my heart for a long time, part of this church. And this is just me giving a little, little sermon here. Um, wow. One of our children right here. Um, the, the idol of our time in the Western church is consumerism, in my take, is mass consumerism. And that means uh, from a, you know, a material perspective to a content like media, news, all that. Um, and I am convinced that the antidote to that and what Jesus has called us into is giving it all away. And I believe a word for our church in particular is um, just give it away. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your resources. Just think about it very rationally. We're New Yorkers. We rationalize things. It's so easy to rationalize the more money you give away, the less you have to spend on things. The more time you give away, the less you have to binge show, whatever it is. Whatever the thing is we talk about a lot up here on stage, like sex, porn, uh, consuming shows and money and all that kind of stuff. I just think that we don't do enough over here of just giving ourselves away and giving away our things and giving away our time and our resources. And so as we were talking about this, like generosity, the generosity is so much more than money, so much more than just for the sake of generosity. It literally changes your life because of all the other things you are not doing. And I know that sounds kind of weird, counterintuitive, but again, that I just feel like, all right, is, yeah, there you go. Alice is like, oh, you're going to get a sermon. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Oh, no, I just, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you um, for being such an amazing community t- for us over the years. Um, I don't know. I just am so grateful. Um, we have our kids up here that have um, grown up here and been dedicated here and been loved by so many of you. And I'm just really grateful for um, the family that you guys have all been. And I just want to... Um, bless you moving forward, that little, that it's hard, I know that it's hard to say goodbye, um, see people leaving, and it might feel like, well, what's going on here, but maybe there's a continuation and a growth of new people arriving that will need the same love and support as we have, and maybe be able to give back as well, and so I just thank you guys for um, loving us well and sending us off, and we just um, will continue praying for you and thinking about you guys and, um, and loving you from afar. Yeah. Jim O'Week. Jim is going to come bless you guys, but I do want to say, like, you, you, yeah, you've, you're invested, and you're still family, so 
Uh, we expect to see you.